Christian life is often compared to running a race. As in any race, there are people in the stands, on the bench, and running the race. Today we look at how things of this world can weigh us down as we run our own race. Be ready to get your spiritual load lightened as you join us in the message entitled, Throwdown. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Now, this passage of Scripture, God actually visited me on two different occasions with this passage of Scripture. And I've spoken on Hebrews chapter 12 several times uh, because of that. This is one of those uh, portions of Scripture that God gave me a, a very clear revelation on. You see, what we read when we read the Bible is called the Logos. It is the written word. You remember when Peter... Came to, when the disciples were with Jesus, and Jesus said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Well, some say that you're Elias or one of the prophets. He said, Who do you say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what that was called in, in the Greek is the rhema. It's not just the Logos, it's not the written word, but it's the rhema or the revealed word. And Hebrews chapter 12 is one of those scriptures that was rhema to me. The first time was in, on June the 22nd in 1990, when my father-in-law passed away, Jeannie's dad. And uh, that night she, of course, was troubled, this was her dad, and she's laying on the bed and she's reading Hebrews chapter 12. And she read that where it says, we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. And she asked me, she said, Bernie, do you believe that people that have died can see us? Because she was wondering, can my dad see me? Will he, will he see me? And I thought about it for a while. And I said, well, honey, you know, the Bible says that they're witnesses. A witness is someone who witnesses something. They see something. I can't really prove that they do see us, but you can't prove that they don't. So we don't know, but personally, just this is my thing, I believe they do. I believe a witness is a witness. Now, we're not to try to contact the dead. The Bible forbids that. And we're not to try to contact them in any way, or we don't pray to them. People pray to dead saints and stuff. They're just dead people. They don't hear you. They don't communicate with you. In fact, if you try to do those things, the Bible strictly forbids that kind of thing. But I do believe that they see us. And I believe that they're cheering us on. And, and it's an encouragement to us because they're standing there in the stadium and they've made it. And they're looking at you doing some of the same things that they did. And they're saying, I made it and I know you can make it too. Yeah. And they're for you and not against you. And I believe that with all of my heart. The second time that I visited the Scripture and really gave it some thought and pondered on it was on April the 2nd in 1994 when my dad passed away. I was at work. I got a phone call. It was a call, kind of call that you don't want to get. 
And uh, they, the doctor had called and said to get the family together, that he only had a matter of hours to live. And so I came home, and we had a six-hour drive ahead of us going to South Carolina. Jeannie was getting clothes together and packing suitcases and getting the kids all cleaned up and ready for the trip. And I knew that I had to drive a long ways. I was tired. I'd been working all day. So I just stretched out there in the floor in my living room. And God visited me. I fell asleep or into a trance or a vision or you can call it anything you want to. I just, just I saw what I saw. And I'm laying there on the floor and I saw the football stadium of the high school where I went to school. Uh, I went to a triple A school. It was a big high school. Um, I think we had like 50-some school buses. I was a school bus driver. They let students drive school buses in South Carolina. (laughs) That's not a good plan, believe me. I would never put my child on a bus with a student driving it because I drove one, and I know that's not a good thing. But it was a big school, and we had this state-of-the-art football stadium, and it had a track around it. And laying there on the floor, I saw that track. And on this side, they got, it's kind of like Louisa, it's similar, but a little bit, I don't know, it's probably about the same, very similar, in fact. And they had this nice state-of-the-art stadium seats over here, and of course the visiting team's not quite as nice, but I was standing, if you're standing in front of the stadium seats and you went down, we call that the first turn, then the second turn, the third turn, and I was on the fourth turn of the track, the last turn before you cross the finish line. And I'm standing there. And I'm looking at this track. I'm down on the ground, and I see the track. And in the center of the track where the football field was, there was no football field. In in this dream or vision or whatever I saw, it was just a big black hole. I mean black, black, the darkest of black. And on the track were all kinds of people. They were just mingling, and they were walking, they were talking, some talking to each other. They were just doing things that people do in life. And and out of the center of this hole, from the waist up, you could see these creatures that were like hideous creatures. They didn't come out of the hole, but they were leaning out of the hole, and they were reaching for the people on the track. Some of them had hold of the people on the track and were dragging them to the center of the hole. Smoke was ascending out of this pit. And I saw in the midst of that other people running, and they had, I should have grabbed my baton, they had a baton in their hand. And they would try to touch the people on the track with the baton. And as they would try to touch them, some of them would pull away and would not allow that person to touch them with that baton. And others would. And when the baton would touch them, instantly they would be released from the grip of the creature that had hold of them. And they would keep running with their baton and they would try to touch another and another and they just keep running. And there were some other things that I won't go into, but I saw this in my mind. And just about that time, someone came up to me and they handed me a baton. And they looked at me and they said, run. And I took the baton out of their hand and then they walked up into the stadium and they sat down. And then I looked up into the stadium and I saw all of these people. And although I didn't know who they were, I knew I recognized them. I mean, I didn't know their names. I'd never seen them. I never met them. But I knew that's Abraham. That's David. That's Isaiah. That's Elijah. And it was all the saints up there. And this person, I, they didn't have a face, they didn't have a name, I don't know who it was. My mom, when I tell this story, she was like, it was your dad, he's giving you his baton. And, uh, maybe it was, I don't know. 
wasn't anybody that I could identify. But they handed me the baton and they said run. And, and they went up and took their place in the stadium. And then I woke up. And, and I, I've thought about that many times, you know, because that is a picture of Hebrews chapter 12. And I went back and I read it after that. I was like, that is exactly what the Lord is calling us to do. And when I've preached on this, I've preached from that perspective of why we run the race. Because the world is full of people just living life. And some of them are in the grips of Satan and demonic powers and they don't even know it. And they're being drugged to the pit. The baton is the word of God. It's the only thing that will set men free. The Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And he says, my word is truth. His word is the only thing that will set men free. And while people are being drugged to this pit, and we as the children of God are given the word of God and commanded to run in the race with patience that's set before us, we go out and try to free people from the grip of Satan's hold. And a lot of people don't want to hear it. Keep it to yourself. I don't want the religious thing, blah, blah, blah. And they pull away from it, and they continually are drugged to the pit. And they will go to hell for eternity. It's hot, and there's no escape from it. People don't preach about it much anymore, but folks, it's as real today as it ever has been. Hell is a real place, and people will go there. It's a place of torment and suffering, where the worm dieth not. And there's no escape from it. When it's done, it's done. The decisions we make, we have to make here and now. Other people, they receive the Word of God. The Bible says, as many as believed on Him, to them gave He power to be the sons of God, even those that believe on His name. And so we run in the race, and the reason we run is to set men free from the grip of Satan's hold. And every time I've preached on this passage, I've preached from that perspective. Because we focus on the need for the race. Jesus is the way that we set people free. And the reason we run in this race is the only Jesus some people may ever see is you. They may never know about Christ if you don't do what God sent you to do. And so we run in the race. And everybody wants to run in the race. They want to do that. But this morning what I want to focus on is not the race, but the bench. Because a whole lot of people that should be in the race is sitting on the bench. They're watching it going on. They want to do something. They want to help, but they're not doing anything. And we say, why? Because of the things that weigh you down. Problems. That consume your life. Can't focus on the people that need to be set free because all I can see is all my problems. Other people that's got mistakes in their life and it condemns them. How could God ever use me? Look at what I've done. God can't use me. And the guilt and the shame silences them. They sit on the bench watching people dying and going to a devil's hell and do nothing. Because they're condemned and shamed because of the mistakes that they made. They're doubtful of their worthiness. They have fears that they might fail. 
So they sit on the bench and they don't do anything. And then the sin that does so easily beset them. It's either things that we believe in our heart that we cannot overcome. Or we just refuse to face it. We have deception that has blinded us from the truth that Jesus Christ can set you free. There is no sin that can hold you. Read Romans chapter 6. Jesus can set you free. There is no sin that can beset you that He cannot set you free from. Amen? Or our pride that just refuses to admit that there's sin in our life. It turns into rebellion in our heart. We try to blame it on everybody else. Need everybody to pay attention. It's no time for play. Okay? Rebellion in our heart. Blame it on everybody else. But don't accept the blame for ourselves. So we sit on the bench and we watch people running by. And we don't know what we can do about it. So this morning, instead of focusing on the need for running the race, I want to focus on how we can run the race. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. Lord, I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to come. Oh, God, help me to say the things that you've put in my heart today. Lord, I pray that you make people listening, hearers, God, of your word. Father, we not only hear it, but Lord, we go out and do your word. God, you said if we are just hearers only and we don't do your word, then we have deceived ourselves. So, God, help us today to hear your word and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, when he starts off in chapter 12, verse 1, you read it again. It says, we are compassed about with this great cloud of witnesses. Let us then lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. This cloud of witnesses that he's referring to, he has just gone over in the preceding chapter, chapter 11. And there's about 16 plus witnesses that he names there. And each one of these witnesses have obtained their prize. They're sitting in the stadium. And they're there as a testimony that you can make it too. They're cheering you on because they're, they've made it. And now they're saying, I made it and I know you can too. And so they're there for an encouragement. Now, they're not there for our example. Jesus is our example. Because right. he tells us to look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. But Jesus, I mean, come on, he was perfect, you know. I want to be like Jesus. But it's, it's helpful to me to see somebody that wasn't all God and all man, but they, they made it too. Because yeah. I can really relate to that. And they tried to be like Jesus, and they, they were enough like Him to, to win the prize. So they're there to encourage us. And we look at that list, and we see people like Abel, the first one that was named. Abel, he, just, he, he didn't really do anything spectacular. But it tells me sometimes all you got to do is just the simple things. Yeah. What did he do? He offered the right sacrifice. Yeah. Simple thing. Nothing really profound about that. You can do that. I can do that. You know, sometimes we talked about it in the prayer room this morning. It's not that we're going to go out and win the world. God may not call you to win the world. He may just call you to win your best friend to Christ. That's right. And that may be the only thing He ever asks you to do. That's right. And if you're faithful to that, the reward you will receive is just like the guy that won millions to Christ. That's 
He says, if I give you a glass of water, and that's all I demand, then make sure that you give that glass of water in my name. Just simple things. We see people like Enoch. The Bible says he walked with God and he was not. It's an example of intimacy. You can have an intimate relationship with God. You can know Him and walk with Him and talk with Him. That was an amazing revelation to me that Jesus walks with me and talks to me. He's got something to say to me. He's my friend. And He understands when nobody else understands. Jesus knows things about me that nobody else knows because I've never told anybody. I just tell Him. And He knows and it's like, how could you still love me? But He does. Noah who didn't know what was going to happen, but who was faithful to do what God called him to do. We see Abraham. And we talk about Abraham. He was the father of many nations. He's the father of Christianity, in a sense. But uh, Abraham had some mistakes in his life. That dude could tell a lie in a minute. (laughs) You see, he didn't have the Mosaic laws to tell him that thou shalt not lie. Paul said, I didn't know what sin was without the law. He didn't know it was a sin to lie. Sarah, tell him you're my sister. Because you one good-looking woman. And they're going to want you and they'll kill me to get you. So don't you lie to them. And so they lied. And he told him to leave their other Chaldees, go in the land that I'll tell you, leave your kindred. He didn't do that. Took his nephew with him. What was that? A weight that easily beset him. Caused him problems. Because he didn't do what God told him to do. But yet he was called a friend of God. See, that's an encouragement to me. How many of you have ever disobeyed God? He told you to do something and you didn't, or you did it different. Well, there's hope for you. If Abraham made it, you can make it. And so that's what they're there for. We see Isaac. Isaac is an example of trust. Get up on this altar, son. Dad, I see the fire. I see the wood. But where's the lamb? God will provide his own lamb, son. Come on, get up on this altar. And he's standing there with a knife in his hand, and daddy's getting ready to plunge it in his chest. I trust my father. And so we see that that we can trust, you know. We can trust the authority in our life. The Bible tells you to submit to those who have authority over you after the flesh, that they may do it with joy. We can trust them. Good example, Isaac. We see Jacob. Oh, boy, that guy really messed up. Cheat, liar, deceptive. Fooled his father, put goat skin on his hand so that he could get the inheritance from his brother, his older brother. Ran off, then he deceived his father-in-law, lied to him, stole from him. But he made it. Anybody in here ever really done some bad stuff? Lying, cheating, stealing, deceiving. You don't have to raise your hand. But there's hope for you. Then we see Joseph, who was faithful in trials. There's some people, I look at them, I'm like, well, I wish I could be like them. Anybody, you know somebody like that? Everybody say Mike Williams. (laughs) Mike, I love you, brother. You're an inspiration to us, brother. Somebody was just talking about you the other night. said, Mike is a picture of contentment. I wish I could be content like Mike. He's a Joseph. He's just faithful to God. You know, you ain't always been that way, though, have you, Mike? He gave his testimony a few few months ago, a few weeks ago, about the time he went through in his life. We all do. Moses. 
Moses was prone to violent outbreaks. Murdered a man. An Egyptian buried him in the sand. Ran off into the wilderness 40 years before he would answer the call of God. I ran from God a long time. God telling me to do this, I'm like, no, thank you. I seen my dad go through that, don't want no part of it. Somebody said, I had men of God when I was a little boy call, tell me God has got a call on your life, you're called to preach the word. And when I was little, it was all right till I saw what my dad went through, and I'm like, no, thank you, I don't want none of that. When God puts it in the sky in 40 foot neon lights, then I'll answer the call. But you come to a place like Moses did, and the burning bush said, Moses, Moses, and he's like, who are you? He said, I am that I am. And so we answer the call, and there's hope for us. Rahab is listed in there. Rahab, a prostitute. I mean, she had a street ministry there in Jericho. What is that? God is a God of second chances. There is nothing you have done, nothing you have done that is beyond the reach of Jesus' love. It doesn't matter what you've done. Anthony, what's the Susan, what's that girl that just got set free in Florida? Casey Anthony. Jesus loves that girl. See, that's that. That's what amazes me. He would still accept her and love her. She killed that beautiful little baby girl. Allegedly, they said she didn't do it, but all the evidence says different. But he still loves her. Rahab went on to marry one of the tribes of Judah and become one of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, a prostitute. Gideon, example of how big God is. Barak, I, I thought about Barak. All he ever did was kill that big fat king. You know, he stuck the sword in his belly so deep that said he was such a large man, the handle of the sword went out of sight in his stomach. That was a big fellow. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what else did he do? And I couldn't really think of anything, but you know what? I, saw, I, I thought about that. God may just have a small thing for you to do. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. Samson, boy, if anybody messed up, that guy did. He was a Nazarite. He broke every Nazarite vow. Came in contact with dead animals. He went out and married all these women. And this, I mean, this guy had a thing for the girls. But it shows the grace of God. So when I look at all of these examples, regardless of their problems or their mistakes or their failures, at some point in their life, they laid aside the weight and the sin that easily beset them. And they got back in the race. And because of that, they obtained the prize. And one thing that I found very interesting when I read the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Are you still with me? Say, uh-huh. God applauded their faith and never once mentioned their mistake. All he did was applaud their faith. Never, and I'm, there was a lot of mistakes. When I started looking through the lives of these people, that some of them messed up way bigger than I did. And he never mentioned it. Applauded their faith. 
And, 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 I, and my mind went racing back to earlier in the week. I was, I was out in the shop building the canoe rack for our canoe trip for the youth. I was building that canoe rack. And for some reason in my mind, I went back to the time when I was a little boy. Because I've been in church my whole life. And I, I'd forgotten all about this. My mom lived, she grew up right on the edge of the Cherokee Indian Res- uh, Reservation. She is descendant from a, a Cherokee woman by, by the name of Amayaha. It was her great-grandmother or something, full-blooded Cherokee Indian. And so she had relatives there on the reservation. And as a boy, we would go to their churches. And my dad, I remember going into the church, and the Cherokees were singing in their own tongue. I don't know if any family was there, but they were. I was little. And I remember my dad picking me up. I was about five years old and setting me up on the platform. He says, they want to hear you sing. And because I, I'd sing in church all the time when I was little. And I got up there and I sang, you asked me why I'm happy. So I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. And when I meet the scoffers who ask me where they are, I'll say, my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood of the cross of Calvary. As far removed as darkness is from dawn. So when I meet the scoffers who ask me where they are, I'll say, my sins are gone. Well, there's a verse 2 to that, but I didn't know it. So I just kept singing verse 1 over and over. Finally, my dad got up and he picked me up. He said, okay, they, that's enough. <laughs> Whatever. I said, I won't make the scene. I sat down, you know. But how true is that? You see, he didn't mention their failures because it's under the blood. Are you hearing me, church? It's under the blood. As far removed as darkness is from known. When you meet the scoffers that want to bring up your sin, want to bring up your past, want to bring up your problems and your troubles, you remind them of that. It's underneath the blood. So I'm going to close with this. I want to look at one last person that I think we can all relate to that's in the 11th chapter. If you look at 11, verse 11 of chapter 11, it mentions one other person. It says, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now here's a woman that what she wants more than anything in her life is to bear a son for her husband Abraham who she loves. And God comes to Abraham whose name wasn't Abraham, it was Abram. And says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. And he says, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. Because Abram was complaining. He says, there is an, a one born in my house to a slave that is the heir to me. And God says, Eleazar will not be an heir to you, but out of your own loins shall come your heir. And so then God visits him and he says, I'm going to bless you and, and I'm going to make you the father of many nations and I'm going to bless your wife Sarah. Uh, Sarai, and her name is going to be called Sarah. And Abraham laughed. He said, I'm almost a hundred years old. She's ninety. How are you going to bless her? And he said, nothing is impossible with God. And she's inside the tent and she laughs. But God had promised Abram that he was going to bless her. But see, she had given up on this thing. I mean, the woman's 90 years old. 
And so she comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to take my maid, Hagar, and lay with her that she may have a child for me. Now, ladies, don't you look this way. This wasn't Abraham's idea. Are you hearing me? This was Sarah's idea. Now, I know there's probably no ladies in here this morning that is going to go out and find a girlfriend and bring her home and say, Honey, look what I got you for Christmas. <laughs> Am I right, ladies? <laughs> but even though we may not do something like that, we do things that is just as manipulative to get what we want. And we try to play God. If she had just waited on the promise, He would come through on the promise. And folks, we need to understand, there's people here this morning, and you say it's too late, too much has gone by. I'm past being able to be used by God. It's never too late. God does things in His own time frame. And so what happens many times is we're just like Sarah. We pick up this weight that weighs us down and we sit on the sideline, on the bench, not in the race because we're carrying this weight around and you can't run with all that weight. She's got this Egyptian woman in her tent. What does that tell me? See, every time we see Egypt, it's a symbol of the world. Paul said, when I want to do good, sin is always present. It's always there. I can't run in the race because sin is present. It's always there. If that were the case, nobody would run in the race. It's always there. She had an Egyptian woman right there with her, and she said, I'm not going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it the way of the world. And we do that. We try to play God. God, you're not doing it this fast enough. You're not doing it the way I want to. So I'm going to manipulate this thing to get what I want because you're not doing it right, God. And so we sit on the other sideline because we're still waiting on the promise. And then finally, God shows up and He tells you, I'm going to open your womb and bless you. And you just don't believe it. How could God use me? I am past being used. And she laughed. The Bible says she laughed within herself. And then God asked her and she lied about it. I did not laugh. He said, oh yes, you did. Sarah, you laughed. But then the miracle was born. And they're both in the same tent. We just went on a camping trip, right? It was hot. Now, everybody, I'll have to, I'll have to commend you. You did get along. I didn't see any tempers flare. Nobody get ill with each other, but it was hot. <laughs> and there was no showers, and, and you're, you're in it. Just, just think about in this tent. And this man, Abram, is having to live in this tent with two women. And two kids coexisting in the same tent. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, stress. 
because he goes over and says something to Hagar. She's like, what are you doing talking to her? He said, well, you brought her in here. <laughs> and so there's, these things are coexisting with each other. She's not doing anything because of this problem that she has created. She's got the promise, but she's also got the problem. She's got the miracle, but she's also got the mistake. And we're sitting on the bench with a miracle in our life, the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. But we're not doing anything because of the mistakes, because of the problems, and they're coexisting. And we watch all of these people that need what we have. They need to hear what you have to say. These youth got up and gave their testimony. The most powerful thing in the world is your testimony. What Jesus did for you. The stadium is filled with people that have their own testimony about what God did in their life. But we don't share it with them because we're carrying around this weight that we ourselves have created. And it's coexisting. And then, one day we look, and the mistake is mocking the miracle. Because remember, she came, and, 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 and Ishmael was laughing and mocking Isaac. And Sarah, I'm telling you right now, one thing you don't mess with, is you don't mess with mama's baby. Are you hearing me? And this boy, he's 13 years old. You've got to understand, Abraham was 86 years old when she brought Hagar in there. Don't say how old she was, but Hagar was probably a young woman, still child, childbearing age. And, and here's 100-year-old Sarah and her newborn little baby and her 13-year-old stepson is mocking him. And so the, so the, the problem is mocking the promise. And she had enough. But see, that, that's what I see people sitting on the bench and, and, and there's this war going on inside of them. This miracle is in their life. The desire to want to serve God is there. Am I right? Yeah. We want to help. Wouldn't you like to lead somebody to Christ and know that you've helped them escape the, the, the torments of hell, eternity? But we don't. Because of this mistake that just condemns us and it, it consumes us, it shames us, it silences us. And so she got to a point that she made a decision. You see, it was a decision that got her there. She decided to do it the world's way. But now she's making another decision. I'm going to do it God's way. So she goes to God and she repents. She don't go and just cry and she feels better because a lot of people do that. They cry and they feel better and they have an emotional explosion, but they don't do anything about it. There's no real repentance. They, I'm sorry, I wish it were different. I'm sorry I did this thing, but they don't really change anything. No, she decided to change something. She went to Abraham and she said, cast out the bondwoman and her child. Cast her out. Because I don't want to only get rid of the, 
the problem I brought in, I want to get rid of the offspring that it has created. And, 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 and folks, now listen. you got to understand, it was hot on that camp out the other day, right? We had that nice river right there you could get in the water. It was hot too. But you get out of it, it was kind of cool, a little bit refreshing. They're out in the wilderness. There's nothing out there. And they kicked the woman out with a goat skin full of water. How would you like to drink water out of a goat skin to start with? <laughs> and a loaf of bread. Kick her out, give her a goat skin full of water and a loaf of bread. And Abraham's like, I... see, it's painful. A lot of people sit on the bench, they don't want to do anything because it's painful. It's bad enough kicking her out when you're not responsible for her being there, but when you are the one that brought her in. See, we we got to quit playing the blame game, folks. Sometimes we want to blame it on everything and everybody. The devil made me do it. How many of you are old enough to remember Flip Wilson? Wow. That was his byline. Well, the devil made me do it. You know, so we start rebuking that thing and pouring oil on it and pleading the blood. And the devil's laughing at you. Because there's a whole lot of things in our life that the devil had nothing to do with. We did it to ourselves. She brought her in. It was her decision to bring her in. And now she's saying, cast her out. And it's painful. I was in a ball game one time. It was a church thing. And... They hit a pop fly ball. Man, I was I was digging all out, going to catch it. And I, my eye was fixed on the ball. And as it come down, in my peripheral vision, I saw a little five-year-old boy standing there. His mom and dad was here for the youth Sunday. And he wasn't here, but his brother and sister was here. Little Zach Taylor. Uh, Zach, Zachary uh, Mitchell. Mitchell. And he was knee-high to me. And I'm, I mean, I'm running dead out and I'm looking. And just as soon as I see him, I realize my next step, I'm going to drive my knee right into his face. And so I just flipped in the air like that right over his head and landed on that shoulder. And as soon as I hit, I knew that was not good. Because instantly I became hot all down my front right there. And the next week, from my belt all the way to my shoulder, it was green and yellow and black and blue. And I couldn't I couldn't lift my arm any higher than that. Oh, man, it was so painful. It hurt, man. And I didn't want to move it because it hurt. I finally went to the doctor. He's like, well, there's really nothing I can do. Well, that, that's blood in there. You've ripped some stuff up in there. He said, the only thing you can do is some physical therapy. Is Cheryl here this morning? She, she can bear witness. If you don't move it, you lose it, honey. And it hurt. And so they had me walk to a wall, and I'd have to take my hand and stretch it out like this, and I'd walk my hand up the wall like this until I did this. And, oh, man, tears running down my face. And then I'd have to do it sideways, and I'd have to do it front ways. Because I couldn't do this. I'd never do this again. I would never lift my elbow above my shoulder if I didn't move that arm. And it was painful. But when I considered the pain versus the permanent condition that I was going to have, that I could never raise my arm above my shoulder again, I was willing to live with the pain. To do what needed to be done to get back to where I used to be. Are you hearing me, church? 
There's some things that we choose in our life, and sometimes we've got to deal with those things. We need to quit denying it and running from it and saying, I can't deal with it, it's too painful. Cast the woman out! Cast out the bondwoman. Give her her loaf of bread and her jug of water and send her out. Abraham went to God. What am I supposed to do? He said, hearken unto the voice of thy wife. See, but too many of us is like, but what about the poor old bondwoman? God says, let me worry about her. That's what got you in this place to start with. You're trying to do my job. We just have to trust Him. And so sometimes we've got things in our life, that problems that we ourselves have created, and it's painful. We don't, want to, we don't want to deal with it. I've seen it many times. Go to people like that, how are you doing? Oh, bless God, I'm doing just fine. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. The world's falling apart spiritually. Life is consumed with problems, not doing anything because they got all these weights and all this sin that's besetting them, but their image is more important than their reality. Folks, if we're all concerned about our image and not concerned about truth, there comes a time in our life we have to realize, I'm not doing this right. I made some mistakes and I need to face them. Because if I never face them, I will never cast out the bondwoman and the offspring. I will be weighed down, I'll sit on the bench, and I will never do anything for the Lord. Forget our image. We should be more concerned with what God thinks of us than what other people thinks of us. Amen? So let me ask you this morning. What is the Hagar in your life? Is there a weight that keeps you from running the race? Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I didn't read it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says that we all run in a race, but only one wins the prize. Run so that you may win that prize. He says we all run out. He said, but I have to exercise my body. I have to buffet it. Unless I preach to others and I myself become a castaway or disqualified. We have to do it. Because if we don't, we're disqualified. We're sitting on the bench. We're not doing anything. What is that? It's repentance. A decision got us there. A decision gets us out of that. It's when we realize, I've done something, God, that's wrong. And Lord, I'm coming to you. Not only am I saying that it's wrong, and I'm sorry that it's wrong, but I'm turning from it. Casting out the bondwoman. And getting back in the race. You see, Sarah got back in the race because she's in the stadium. Her name is in chapter 11. And he doesn't even mention all the mistakes that she made. He said that she believed in him who was faithful to keep his promise. That's what God remembers about her. So it doesn't matter what your mistake is. If you will come to God and say, Lord, I've messed up really big. And I'm sorry. Forgive me. I want to get back in the race. You know what? He won't even remember that. All he will remember is what you did right. So throw it down. 
It says, take every weight and throw it aside. The, the Amplified Bible says, strip it off and throw it aside. The weight and sin that needs to be set you, tear it off and throw it aside. I titled the message, Throw Down. Just throw it down. Throw it down. So what sin is it? What weight is it? It's a lack of faith. Look at Gideon. He repented. Won the battle against the Midianites. He found out how big God was. It's depression. Look up in there. There's Isaiah who sat under the juniper tree wishing he could die. But he repented and he went back and finished the race. He moved on beyond his depression. Decided to go do something for others. He anointed a king. He anointed another prophet. Dealing with depression, go do something for somebody else. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Immoral past? Oh. See, I took a two-year sabbatical from Christianity and did some stupid stuff. And the guilt and the shame, I didn't think God could ever use me. People would try to hold that over your head, remind you of that. Say, See, that's of the devil. God don't remember those things. It's under the blood. Don't believe it? David's in that stadium. David, come out of the stadium and give us your testimony. You who were the king that had everything. Had a man murdered so you could take his wife. Laid with her. Had a child. Immoral pass? Disqualifies you for the race? I don't think so. No, God forgives all sin. Any sin. Every sin. You have to repent. And when you do, everybody with me, look this way. When you repent and God puts that under the blood, you don't hang your head in shame for nobody. If other people want to bring up your past and remind you what you've done, you don't hang your head in shame. That's under the blood. Yeah, I made a mistake. What mistake did you make? Because I hadn't met any perfect people in the church. Looking down their self-righteous sanctimony is better and holier than thou knows at me. Uh-uh. No, we've all made mistakes, folks. We've all picked up weights. We've all had sin that easily besets us. But Jesus Christ will wash all of that away. You tell the devil and you tell the world, Jesus was the author of my faith and he's going to be the finisher of my faith. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? In 1960, there was a man by the name of Peter Snell. He held the world record in the mile. And he told a New Zealand TV audience that the eye of the Christian must constantly be fixed upon Jesus Christ. Man, don't you wish we had athletes like that today? Here he is, a world-renowned winner, gold medalist. He said, the eye of the Christian must constantly be fixed upon Jesus Christ. He said, I won the 800-meter championship at Rome at the Olympic Games in 1960 because the runner ahead of me glanced to the right instead of looking straight ahead. And I passed him on the left. See, Paul, when he wrote this, he was talking to people that was familiar. They had stadiums in all the Roman cities. Sports was a big thing. And when they would run, they would run looking at the idol of the God that they served. 
And he's saying, just like they would do that, you run keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. Don't look back at your mistakes. You can't see where you're going looking back. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Amen. Last thing I'm going to read, and then we're going to pray. Isaac Watts wrote this about Hebrews chapter 12. It's actually a conversation he's having with the people, the best I can gather with the people in the stadium. He said, I asked them whence the victory came. They, with united breath, ascribed their conquest to the Lamb, their triumph to His death. And that neat. My triumph is because of His death. It's the blood that He shed that gave me the right to run the race. So whatever hinders you from giving your testimony, whatever shame, guilt, past it, look, His death took care of all of that. Cast aside the weight, the sin that needs to beset you, and get in the race. Because there's a whole lot of people that needs to hear what you've got to say. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, may it be an encouragement to the person who just seems the most downcast and downtrodden, feeling like their past being used. God, that person that feels like Sarah, Lord, they feel like it's too much has happened, it's too far gone, it's too late. God, I pray today that you just touch them. Wash them clean. Bring us to a place of repentance. Lord, help us to face our decisions, whether they were good or bad. Own up to them. And realize most of all, God, that you will forgive us and cleanse us of them. Move on every heart right now, Holy Spirit. You said that no man comes to you lest they be drawn. Draw them, O God. Draw us right now, O Lord.